Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Warriors. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show that teaches us that people aren't always what they seem. Many people hide their true evil identity behind a pristine uniform and lots of accolades. Some hide behind their status as military dependents, and most of the evil hides in plain sight. Today's case is one I've seen often. A service member survives a dangerous deployment only to die on American soil at the hands of someone they thought they knew. Join me today as I take you to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and I tell you the tragic story of Vincent Goslin Jr. Now, let's dig in. In January 2012, 28-year-old Army Sergeant Vincent Goslin Jr. had just returned to Fort Campbell from his second tour in Afghanistan. He was happy to be home and reunited with his wife, Jessie, and their three young kids. Vincent had two other kids from a previous relationship, so he was a father of five. I never deployed when I had kids, but I did deploy as a newlywed back in 2012, and I remember I couldn't return home soon enough. So I can imagine that Vincent was just elated to be home. But for anyone who might not be familiar with military life, Everyone looking in always imagines that returning from a deployment is all rainbows and butterflies. But oftentimes, there's a rift that occurs in marriages and families in the initial reunification period. What people don't realize is that in the few short months of separation, family dynamics change. Sometimes they change a lot. And I can imagine that this was the case for Vincent and his wife and three young kids. But even with all that, the couple had to get back into the groove of things And only four days after Vincent arrived home, the couple was finally able to get their alone time. A date, if you will. It was a Friday night in February of 2012, and Vincent and Jesse decided to have dinner in the town of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. They would leave the three kids with their neighbor and fellow military spouse, Kay. The Goslins decided on O'Charlie's for their date night. The Goslins lived on base on Fort Campbell, and the restaurant was roughly 15 miles away. But looking at a map, it was a straight shot up I-41. That night, the couple had a lovely dinner at O'Charlie's, I imagine. But it was on the car ride home when everything took a turn for the worse. It was dark outside now, and as Jessie drove home, she took one of the back roads, Fidelio Road to be exact. While they were driving down this dark road, a car was stopped on the side, and Vincent, being the helper that he was, he wanted to pull over to see if the person needed any help. It was after Vincent got out of the vehicle that shots rang out. Lots of shouts, almost 10 gunshots. Jessie started screaming as she took off down the road in fear that the person would come after her as she dialed 911. Jessie told the operator that her husband had been shot after they pulled over to help a motorist in need. As she was on the phone, Jessie was hysterical, so much so that the operator had to calm her down, like way down. Jesse continued to tell the operator that after her husband had been shot, he tried to get back into the vehicle, but whoever shot him was right behind him and wouldn't let him get into the car. While this was happening, Vincent looked at Jesse and told her to drive. 
He cared more about her safety and he wanted her to drive off. And so she did. It was when Jesse was on the phone with 911 that the operator got another call from someone reporting a shooting on Fidelio Road. The caller was a man named Walter Ferguson, and he was a local resident of the area. He reported that he heard gunshots near his house as he was fixing to go visit his cousin. When he heard the gunshots, he drove towards the sound, and that's when he saw a truck's lights come on, and then that same truck took off. Walter, the fearless man that he was, drove right up to the area where the truck had been stopped, and that's when he saw a man laying on the ground. It was the body of Vincent Goslin Jr. Walter was standing on Fidelio Road, and as police rushed to the scene, they found Vincent. He was dead, the result of multiple gunshot wounds. Detectives were hopeful that they would find the person that did this to Vincent, especially because there were two eyewitnesses. There was Jesse, the wife, and then there was Walter. That night, when detectives caught up with Jesse a half mile up the road from where Vincent lay dead, she was hysterical, which I can imagine how shook you must be to witness a shooting and then witness the love of your life tell you to leave. I mean, making that split second decision, do I stay and fight or do I go for help? That must be terrifying. At some point, Jesse called Kay, the friend babysitting the kids, and told her she needed her to watch the kids for a little bit longer. Jesse didn't really give too much information, only saying that Vincent had been attacked and Jesse had heard three gunshots. That was the extent of that very first call. I imagine Kay, the babysitter, I imagine her head was spinning with the news. So five minutes later, Kay called Jesse and was like, girl, where are you? I'm coming to get you. And then Kay was like, all right, put Vincent on the phone. A now speechless Jesse stood there. She handed the phone to a sheriff's deputy. Hello? At which point Kay was like, I'm coming to get my friend. But the deputy was like, I can't let you do that because we need to talk to Jesse about what happened tonight. It was during this conversation that Jesse collapsed to the ground on the side of the road and began to vomit. At some point, when pressed for information on the shooting, Jesse claimed the shooter was a black man driving a reddish brown colored vehicle. Jesse was distraught throughout this initial interview. She was brought back to the station through a back door. And after initially waiving her Fifth Amendment right to remain silent, she just kept asking the investigators about the status of her husband. But the detective tended to ignore the question. And then Jesse got upset. She told the detective that she was mad. They wouldn't tell her about her husband. And now she was ready to talk to a lawyer. As soon as Jesse asked for an attorney, the question stopped. And then one of the detectives called Kay and asked her to bring clothes for Jesse. And so Kay did. Kay brought some of her own clothes because she didn't have access to Jesse's house. She came, picked up Jesse, and took her back home to Fort Campbell. Kentucky detectives immediately began to canvass the area where Vincent lived on base. They figured while the crime occurred off base, maybe one of the neighbors could tell them more about the victim and his family life. Was he into any shady things that could have landed him in hot water? Was anyone holding any deployment grudges against him? But the detectives wouldn't have to canvass too hard. Because when Kay returned home with Jesse, Kay's husband handed Kay a CID agent's business card and was like, CID wants to talk to you, stat. Armed with this contact information, both Kay and her husband went down to talk to CID, while Jesse stayed at Kay's house with Kay's kids and Jesse's own three kids. When Kay arrived at the CID office for an interview, she asked what the interview was about. And Special Agent Samuel Palmer was like, well, you probably know that Vincent Gosson was shot multiple times and is dead. 
And Kay was in utter disbelief. Even though she had been the one to pick up Jesse, she had no clue that Vincent was dead. For the next several hours, both Kay and her husband told CID everything they knew about Jesse and Vincent. And it was then that they revealed a bombshell. I got the following information from the Dateline episode that I watched. Basically, Kay and her husband were made aware by Jesse just weeks earlier that her husband Vincent was a drug dealer. Vincent, according to Jesse, had recently lost $20,000 worth of meth as a result of a robbery. And Jesse told at least Kay that she was fearful for her life and the life of her kids. In that very moment, sitting at CID after learning about Vincent's untimely death at the age of 28, the Rays believed the drug thing might have something to do with Vincent's murder. And the fact that Jesse hadn't mentioned the drug angle to cops initially wasn't adding up. After several hours being interviewed, Kay put the pressure on Jesse to tell CID about the drug thing. And while Jesse was initially hesitant about the idea, Jesse agreed. And hours later, it hadn't even been 24 hours after Vincent was murdered, both ladies found themselves in a CID interview room. By the way, in this story, the real MVP is Kay. So Kay, if you're out there listening, I love you, girl. It's during this second interview when Jesse, now over the shock of her husband's death, tells the story of what happened that night on Fidelio Road. Jesse said that she was driving the car that night after dinner at O'Charlie's. It was a little bit after 8 p.m. She was driving down the road when she began to feel ill. So Vincent told her to turn down a side road. As they pulled off the road, they saw a vehicle stopped with its hood up. Vincent, ever the good Samaritan, told her to pull over and he went over to the person by the car to help. And that's when Jesse said she heard two or three gunshots. Then she saw Vincent round the corner and attempt to get back into the driver's side of the vehicle. That's when the shooter was tugging at Vincent, not allowing him to get back into the car. Immediately, Vincent looked at his wife and told her to leave and save herself. So she took off. During this police interview, Jessie, now with the glaring eyes of her neighbor Kay staring at her, told detectives about the drug thing. Jessie told CID that her and Vincent were indebted to some drug dealers upwards of $20,000. By the way, it should be noted that the Dateline episode made it seem like Kay sat in the interrogation room the entire time. But according to a court opinion, it says that Kay was only present for 10 minutes or so. So I just wanted to put that out there because I did find it odd that detectives would let a grown person speak in front of another person, especially if they were a suspect. Anyway, at some point, Jesse dropped the bombshell to the investigators. Jesse mentioned that the fact that they were driving down Fidelio Road was no coincidence. No, it was not a coincidence at all. You see, after Jesse and Vincent left O'Charlie's at night, Jesse received a text message from one of the drug dealers. It read, quote, turn on the road after the stoplight. If not, your whole family is dead, end quote. Terrified, Jessie saw the message and she did as she was told. So this was all very interesting, right? Because initially, Jessie made no mention of drugs. And now she was talking about receiving a text message from some drug dealers. And then at some point, Jessie also said that they should be looking for a black man in a reddish brown car. So detectives sat there listening attentively, but they weren't buying Jesse's story. 
And to top it off, Walter, the man who heard the gunshots that killed Vincent and saw a vehicle at the crime scene, well, this seemingly uninterested man told a different story. You see, while Jesse maintained that the car she saw on the side of the road was a reddish brown car, Walter was like, what? I saw a big old white truck that was elevated from the ground and it had a loud exhaust. So the question for detectives was, who was lying? Or more importantly, who had the motive to lie? Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. When authorities interviewed Walter Ferguson, he recalled that the car he saw leaving the crime scene was a truck. But not just any old truck in Kentucky. It was different because it was lifted. With this new lead in mind, detectives asked Fort Campbell neighbors if they had seen a truck in the area or a lifted truck, better yet. And it just so happened they had. In actuality, the neighbors knew this for a fact because the truck that they were thinking about was so loud and it just caused such a ruckus going up and down the block. And it was, you know, kind of really hard to avoid seeing or hearing it. Armed with this information, you know, loud, lifted white truck on Fort Campbell military base, it didn't take long for authorities to find a loud, lifted truck with Colorado plates, I might add. It turned out to be a silver Dodge Ram truck registered to a former soldier by the name of Jared Long. And Jared Long had lived at Fort Campbell at one point. As luck would have it, investigators learned that this big ass truck was often parked in the Gosselin house. I mean, it was practically there every day while the man of the house, Vincent Gosselin Jr., was away on deployment. Authorities immediately put a bolo for the vehicle and they find Jared in Grand Junction, Colorado, where he lived. They bring him in for questioning, but he didn't say much. And without any other connection to the Fort Campbell murder of Vincent Gosselin Jr., they let him go. 
By the way, I would like to point out that the drive from Fort Campbell to Grand Junction, Colorado is 20 hours, which means if Jared had anything to do with Vincent's murder, he did a lot of driving afterwards to get the hell out of town and return home. Anyway, after chatting with Jared briefly, detectives kept digging and they learned more and more and more about Jared and Jesse's relationship. Because, you know, especially if you live on base, the houses have eyes and ears. And while you might not hear it, everyone is talking. Word on the street was that Jared and Jesse were a thing. And in fact, Jared actually lived with Jesse at her house with her kids every single time that Vincent was away. So whenever it was time for Vincent to come home, Jared would pack up his little belongings and leave until the next time. Which honestly, I know this is common, but it does make me sick to my stomach just saying it's not the affair so much as the lying, the audacity and the blatant disrespect. But OK, I'll get off my soapbox now. But wait, this story gets crazier. Not only was Jared living in Vincent's house, but Jared and Jesse went as far as buying a whole ass car together. Yes, ma'am. The car that Jesse was driving the night of the murder, a Pontiac Aztec SUV, it belonged to Jesse and Jared as co-owners. I mean, actually, Jared owned it and it was registered to both of them. But anyway, what in the actual hell is wrong with people? Okay, so armed with all this information, detectives talk to Jesse alone. I imagine they're like, Jesse, girl, you got some splaining to do. And Jesse tries to play cute. She explains that her and Jared are just friends. I mean, there's more there, but they have never taken it to a sexual level. Yeah. Okay, Jesse. Jesse basically plays the entire Vincent and I were going through a rough patch story. She even says that Vincent was aware that Jared spent the night sometimes. And this interview goes circular just like this for three full hours until an admission. Jesse told detectives that there had been a few occasions when she was hanging out with Jared and drinking and drunk, and she was kind of sure they've had sex. I'm sorry, what? Y'all were a thing or not? I mean, you have a whole ass husband and three whole ass kids. I can't imagine sneaking around as easy because I also have three kids. There has to be a conscious decision on your part, I imagine. So at this point, when you have someone talking like this, it's better to sometimes just stay silent so they keep talking. And that's what detectives did. And Jesse continued to talk. Now, with the story about the drug dealers and the story about Jared, Jesse had to make the connection. And here it is. Jesse told authorities that Jared contacted her the night before Vincent was murdered. He was in town and wanted her to come to his hotel room. And she agreed. They had lunch together. They talked. And then they went back to his hotel room where they had sex. It was on this day that Jared told Jesse that he had spoken to the drug dealers and they wanted him to rough Vincent up to pay their debt. You know, the missing $20,000 worth of meth debt. And with that, the plan was born. Rough up Vincent after dinner. What in the world? This really doesn't make any sense and it doesn't get better, y'all. Of course, Jesse had said enough at this point during her interview. She placed Jared at the scene of the crime, so immediately an arrest warrant was issued and Jared was taken into custody all the way in Colorado. A search of Jared's truck revealed a shell casing that was a match to one found near Vincent's body on Fidelio Road. And during questioning, 
Jared did not stay quiet. No, he sang like a canary, at least about the affair. He admitted to having an affair with Jesse and said it began in September of the prior year and that they began to live together in Vincent's house while he was deployed. Jared knew that Jesse was married, but he was like, eh, that doesn't bother me. But when investigators asked Jared if he had anything to do with Vincent's murder, he denied it. And when they confronted him with Jesse's statement, he was appalled, but not so appalled that he felt compelled to defend himself. Instead, he requested an attorney. But it didn't matter because inside Jared's truck, they found what they were looking for. They found Jared's backpack that revealed Vincent's blood on it. What in the world? Why would that be there? Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. After both Jared and Jesse were arrested for murder, that's when the game of cat and mouse began. Now, I just want to point out that the investigators in this case did not come to play around. Vincent was murdered on Friday night, and by Monday morning, both Jesse and Jared were in custody and charged with Vincent's murder. So I imagine the investigators hardly slept in those first 72 hours trying to nab these murderers. After the arrest, Jared's defense attorney wanted to get Jesse's statement to police thrown out because that's what implicated their client. So in examining the two interviews with Jesse, Jared's attorney noticed that Jesse requested an attorney during her first interview, immediately after Vincent had been shot. Then Jesse went into CID with her friend Kay and started talking again the following day. But as you might recall, Jesse had previously requested an attorney and one had not been provided to her. When Jared's attorney filed a motion to suppress the evidence, the judge agreed with the defense counsel and Jesse's second statement to police implicating Jared was thrown out. Of course, this was a huge blow. Had the prosecutors lost the entire case? After the ruling, both Jesse and Jared were released from jail on bond with ankle bracelets while the prosecutors appealed the judge's decision. And that decision would be in limbo for four entire years. All the while, Vincent's family was out there starting a Facebook page and they were nervous that their son's killers would never be brought to justice. After four years of waiting, the appeal was resolved on the prosecution side and Jesse's statement was allowed as evidence. That being said, with the passage of time, it appeared the prosecutors just wanted to finish the case as quickly as possible. 
and they offered both Jesse and Jared a deal. According to reporting, Jesse was the first to take the deal in exchange for her testimony against Jared. In 2017, Jesse pled guilty to complicity to murder. Right before her sentencing hearing, she sought to present evidence that she had been a victim of domestic violence at the hands of the victim, Vincent. But after talking to her attorney and hearing a victim impact statement, Jesse withdrew her initial request, which would have prolonged the process. Ultimately, Jesse was sentenced to 22 and a half years. During this time, Jared was still out on bail. But after hearing about some of his conversations with Jesse and how he might flee or hurt himself or others, the judge was quick to revoke his bail. Eventually, though, Jared pled guilty to first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 30 years. While we may never know the truth, the new prosecutor in town believes that Jesse was the true mastermind, even though she didn't pull the trigger. A search of the Kentucky Online Offender Lookup reveals a very smiley Jesse. According to the online inmate record, she went to jail on May 23, 2018, and her good time release date is set for July of 2032. She will be eligible for parole in 2031. And y'all, evil is itty bitty because she measures in at four feet, nine inches tall. But wait, as if this story wasn't crazy enough, when I was wrapping up my online research of Vincent's case, I came across an article in the Courier Journal about the original lead prosecutor in Jared's case. Apparently, the prosecutor was in a sexual relationship with the lead detective. And so with that, the judge removed the lead prosecutor from Jared's case in an effort to not undermine the verdict in the case. As you know, the issue was moot since Jared pled guilty. But man, it's always something with humanity, right? Not just the actual case, but the lives of those involved in those cases that goes under such scrutiny. The female prosecutor was pissed when Jared's defense first filed a motion to remove her from the case. She called it a last-ditch effort to avoid the inevitable. And she even threw in a zinger, calling the motion sexist. Which, I'm not going to lie, you have to wonder if the motion would have even come up if she were a man. Well, there you have it. Vincent Gosson Jr., who went by Jr. to those who loved him, will be highly missed. He had five young children who I imagine looked up to him dearly. Sadly, a selfish act took a father and a friend out of this world. Tim Hamilton, Vincent's cousin, continues to carry the torch for Vincent. You can see a ton of pictures of Vincent on Tim's YouTube channel. You'll see pictures of Vincent with his kids, Vincent as a groomsman at a wedding, pictures of Vincent in uniform, deployed, goofing around. It's truly a memory of a life lost. Thank you, True Crime Warriors, for tuning in for this week's case. If you want more Mama Margot during the week, be sure to subscribe to my new YouTube channel at Mama Margot. Also, I've been toying around with the idea of returning to a weekly production schedule. So if you love Military Murder Podcast and want a weekly show, please consider supporting the show through Patreon or Apple Premium. My sources for this episode are an episode of Dateline titled Evil Awaits, a Facebook page for Justice for Sergeant Vincent Gosselin Jr., a Kentucky Court of Appeals opinion, and articles in the Kentucky News Era, The Messenger, The Daily Sentinel, and Courier Journal. Military Murder is a Mamo Margot production. This episode was produced in collaboration with my patrons and Apple Premium subscribers. 
Executive producers for this episode are Jen, Tina S., Alicia, Bob, Falcon 13, and Nicole. Our newest associate producers are Julia, Aaron, Samantha, Joelise, and Rebecca. Our newest assistant producers are Taryn, Kayla, Kaylee, and Tema. The theme music was created by TyApps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. Working on our podcast. I don't want to.